0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So it's Luke chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 45. And, and as we do this, today we're going to see a couple little Things that happen, Jesus mentioned some things, and then Jesus is going to go on a little bit of a, um, a discourse about what people call end times or eschatology. Eschatology is what you believe about the end of things. And anytime you get into this passage, um, or passages like this, there, there's this like temptation for weirdo stuff to come out, you know, where we start stockpiling ammunition and all of those sorts of things because the end is coming. Um, or, some of you will look at some of this stuff and hear this stuff and be like, this sounds goofy. It sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like some crazy thing that Jesus will come back and the world will end. But I, what? Anyone around for uh, that thing that wasn't called Y2K? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, It was the year before, it was right before Emily and I got married, and I was so worried, like for real, so worried that when the ball dropped New York City would go dark and then the world would happen, I would not be able to get married to Emily. I was just, I was afraid of it. I remember watching the TV, like anticipation, like New Year's hits and the lights are still on. (laughs) It's like, whoa. There's all, like when you talk about the end of the world and end of things, like there's crazy things that come out here, right? And about every couple of years you have this new person that pops up and they've cracked the code, right? And they've predicted when Jesus will return and there's this date and he has a handful of followers and you have a handful of people like, oh, here we come. And they gather together and nothing happens. I was out, it was like six, seven, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe, out with some friends and one of my friends, uh, husband and wife, but she Kind of gets into all this stuff, these prophecies, and follows the next person. And she was convinced that this one guy predicted that the end of the, that Jesus was going to come back the next day. And we're out on like a Friday night. We're in a Mexican restaurant, and the, and the waiter comes up and you know, takes orders and, and he says to her, Do you, you want a margarita? And she's like, Yes. And he starts to walk away. Oh, no, no, never mind. I don't want one. I'm like, What? Well, if Jesus comes back, I don't want to have a margarita. It's like, What are you talking about? <laughs> like, we get crazy with. Things sometimes. But at the same time, but at the same time, the story of the Bible is that Jesus came once, right? God created the, the world, humans rebel, God sends Jesus to come and rescue, Jesus leaves but says, I'll come back. And the end of the story is that Jesus will come back, will kick out sin and death and evil forever, will unite heaven and earth once again. Remember, we've talked about this, heaven of the future is not you floating in the clouds with angel wings. It is Jesus coming back, restoring goodness to this earth, and you and I living here with new bodies and souls that are, are joined with Christ, evil, gone. Like, that's the end of the story. Which, again, even saying that, some of you are like, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it does. It does. And there's an element of faith that comes with this, um, but we're going to jump into Luke chapter twenty. I'm going to hit some high level things, and then we'll get to some of the words that Jesus said. So if you remember last week, well, two weeks ago, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Final, final days of his life. We're a couple days away from the cross now. Enters Jerusalem to bring the kingdom. Jews are excited. They think he's going to overthrow Rome. Where does he go? Last week, where does he he first go when he enters Jerusalem? Talk to me. To the temple. He goes to the temple, not to confront Rome but to confront Judaism, (laughs) right? And when he gets to the temple last week, he sees these money changers there who are taking advantage of people who are poor in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, and he runs them out, and his problem with them is they were using their power to gain money and exploiting poor people. So he kicks them out, he throws a fit. Well, Luke chapter 20, verse 45, here's what he says. In the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes. Now, scribes are the Old Testament scholars. Their job was to uh, look at the Old Testament and teach Israel how to live based on that. Look, Beware of them. Who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feast. And these scribes who devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. So Jesus enters the temple, overthrows money changers, and then he's there teaching. He says, and he probably sees some scribes standing there, and he says, okay, beware of them. They are sent by God to lead you to God, but they are not doing that. As a matter of fact, they like to walk around in white robes saying, Here am I. At feasts, they love to be in the center, they are exploiting. Widows, poor people, for their own gain. Says beware of them. What's Jesus' problem with the scribes? They're after power and money. That immediately takes him now into chapter 21, verse one. One of the things you have to remember, when the Bible's written, it doesn't have chapter markers. That's for us to kind of orient ourselves. And so you can't see this as, oh, this is a new chapter, Jesus teaching. Okay, now chapter 21. That's not how it worked. And so Luke writes this, and he wants it to flow. And I want you to see what happens, okay? Jesus enters Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, a place that had become a place of power and money. He kicks out the money changers. He announces that the scribes are after after power and money. And now at the temple, look what immediately happens. Verse one, chapter twenty-one. Jesus looked and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. Now, when you went to the temple as a Jew, you would bring your offerings to God, and they had offering boxes there. And, and they don't have paper currency; they have coins. And so, as you are dropping in your offering boxes, I have I have in my head like a, if you ever been to a hotel, go to the soda machine, and you like you know put the quarter in. It's quiet in the hotel. Uh, in, in, the, in the hallway, so you see her, ching, 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 ching. Like, that's what's happening. So if you would have gone to the temple, you would have heard this just cascade of noise of coins, ching, 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 And so Jesus see, the, see these rich, and, and you can see them, they're like, ching, 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 ching. Like, it took them a couple minutes to put all their coins in, and everyone's seeing this, wow, not that person. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Copper coins, they were like the the lowest currency of the day. It's it's equivalent to a couple pennies. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and all she had to live on. So if you ever heard this passage taught, a lot of times what's taught is you should give money no no matter how much you have. Right, Jesus commends poor people who don't have much money. College students, you should give. That's the message. As you look big picture at Luke and see the flow of what's happening, I'm going to challenge that interpretation of that passage. I don't think that Jesus is necessarily praising a widow as a model of generous giving. I think Jesus is pointing out a lady who is being exploited. What's his problem with the scribes? They devour Widows, houses. The next thing we see Jesus saying is, look at this poor widow who has just put in all that she has. She is a victim of a religious system that has taught her, God will accept you if you give. And the scribes and the religious leaders are getting wealthy off her. And so Jesus calls out, once again, a system that revolved around power and money. Jesus is not necessarily praising, I don't believe, this widow, but lamenting at the vulnerable people that are being exploited by the religious leaders. Verse five, and while some were speaking, so while this is happening, he points, out, points out a widow who's given all she has, a victim, I believe, of this corrupt religious system. And right after that, some people were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. Guys, I wish we could have seen the temple. Oh, I wish we had, like, a photo of how beautiful and big and and magnificent this temple is. Flash flood warnings, probably. (laughs) Everyone's everyone's phone's going to go off at once. That's all right. And so some people are like, Jesus, look at that. Like, how cool is this? Look at our temple. Oh, look at that, Jesus. And he said, as for these things you see, the days will come. When there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Well, that's not what they expected. Imagine taking Jesus to New York, taking him right to the, to the edge of, of the, the water there. And Jesus, look at the Statue of Liberty. How cool is that? Yeah, the days are coming. Well, that won't be there. I mean, this had to come in a shot to the people. I mean, this temple was there like most pr- proud thing, like there was a pride and joy, this temple. And Jesus once again says to Judaism, like you have become a religion of power and money and it's even represented in this temple where you exploit people in it. And he announces that this temple will not stand. It will come down. And this is where Jesus then launches into what we would call Teachings on eschatology or the end of times. Now, it's a big debate, and as you look at this, because Jesus is going to teach these people who are going to experience a lot of things in their lifetime, and Jesus is going to die and be raised and come back to them physically, and then After a few days, he's going to go off in the clouds and and go to to heaven, and now we're waiting on him to come back. And so as you look at a passage like this, it can be confusing. Here's the question. Is Jesus talking to these disciples and what they will face, or is Jesus talking to all of the Christians to come and what they will face? Does that make sense? How do you read this? Do you look at this as like the end of times when Jesus will come back once again? It Has not happened yet? Or do you read this as what's happening to these people? Here's my answer. Yes, it's both. Let me, give, let me give you an illustration. The guy named Tim Mackey, I heard him teach this and I thought this is brilliant. If you get in your car and you drive west and you make it through Kansas, which is a long drive, and you're heading to Colorado and you get into Colorado which may be western or eastern Colorado may be worse than Kansas, right? And you start getting close to Denver. And as you get close to Denver, you start coming over the hills, you can begin to see the mountains in the background. You guys been with me on this drive? Anyone? Yeah. Begin to see the mountains. As you get closer, you see that the mountains you first saw were not the mountains. That there's actually these bigger mountains on past. And so thinking about Jesus teaching about the end times, is kind of like these mountains. When you look and you start coming to Denver, you say, oh, there are the mountains. Is that true? Yes. Yes. But what you're seeing are the foothills that look like mountains, with the mountains in the distance. So thinking it like this, what Jesus is going to teach, he's looking at the mountains, and he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Now, some of them are the foothills. What's going to happen in the days of these disciples? I'm going to look at that. But I think some of what he is teaching are the bigger mountains in the background. What's going to happen at the end of time? So as you look at this, trying to make sense, I think it's both. Let's jump down to 21, verse 7. So Jesus just announced that their temple that they love will be destroyed. And they asked, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So Jesus says, your temple will be destroyed. And they say, okay, when and how will we know? That's a question, verse 8. And he said, see that you are not led astray. So just like normal, Jesus doesn't answer their questions. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. He says, there will be many false messiahs. And the time is at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must take place. But the end will not be at once. So he's giving us these hints of what's to come. Again, is he talking about the end of Jerusalem? He's talking about, we don't know. But he says, you'll hear of wars and things will take place, but the end isn't here yet. Verse 10, he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Again, Jesus, with the question, Jesus, when, how will we know? He doesn't answer the when. He says, well, here's some things that will happen. Now, question, have these things been happening all through history? Yes. And they're still happening today. So the day, I don't think Jesus wrote this as some like code book, okay, earthquake here. There's earthquake in Haiti, okay, now there's a, a flood here, oh, here we go. I think he's saying the result of living in a fallen world is this creation keeps going and going, and the earth, it's like feels it. Paul writes about this, said the earth is groaning like in pains of childbirth, waiting for its redemption. So when humans brought evil and wickedness and suffering to the, to the earth, It brought destruction to the planet, to our earth. And the Bible says even our earth in some mysterious way is waiting for this evil to be taken care of where it can be restored to Eden. Verse 12. But before all this, so now it seems like we jump back to Jesus' time. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to, an- <clears throat> how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents, and brothers, and relatives, and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will perish. But your endurance, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. So, temple, Jesus, look how beautiful it is. Yeah, that temple's going down. And there will be wars and all these things will happen. And then I think he looks probably to his disciples. Disciples right here. He says, by the way, these are the things that will happen to you. What what is Jesus doing here? Is he going on a rampage? Does he have this angry tone? I don't think so. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He is shepherding his people. He is shepherding a group of people. Knowing they live in an evil world and knowing that the Roman Empire will be against Christianity, he is protecting his followers, encouraging them to keep going. And if you look at the early disciples who were here, what Jesus said about them happens. Quick rundown. Peter is taken to Rome. Nero's in charge. If you want to research Nero, he's a pretty evil guy, especially when it came to Christians, told Peter he was going to be crucified. Peter said, don't crucify me like Jesus. I don't want to be like that. Put me upside down. Upon his request, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul, who's not here at this point, but becomes one of the apostles, is beheaded by Nero in Rome. Andrew, one of the disciples, is crucified in Greece as he took the gospel to Greece. Thomas, one of the disciples, doubting Thomas, he goes to India. He's impaled by spears. Philip, one of the disciples, takes the gospel to Africa and Asia Minor and he's tortured to death. We don't know how, but we know he was tortured to the point of death. Matthew, who was previously a tax collector, wrote, a gospel, wrote one of the gospels. He was martyred, but no one really knows. There's all kinds of accounts of how he was killed. We don't know. Bartholomew went to Africa to take the gospel there killed for his faith. James goes to Syria. He was stoned to death. Matthias, who replaced Judas, went to Syria. He was burned to death. John is the only one of the disciples who it's thought died of like a natural death. He was exiled to an island of Patmos where he wrote his gospel and wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, it's going to be bad for you. But don't give up. Endure. Stay faithful. And they do. If there's one, like I, I've told you, I can never prove to you that Christianity is real, that Jesus is real. Never, I can't. But if there's one thing that gives me confidence is you got a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and all these hooligans, Jesus comes together, lives them the three years, They believe enough that they go to their death. They go, and and cruel, cruel deaths. Here's the reality. If we get a group of us together, and we decide Brad Lowe's is the Messiah, okay? Because we want to get rich and create this new thing. Like, I'm all for it until they start to take me and I see this cross. I'm like, okay, time out. We lied, we made it up. Because that's all these disciples had to do was recant their faith, and they would have been spared their faith. None of them do. It tells me they believe what they believe, right? They live with Jesus, they saw him, they saw him, out, and whatever happened to them happened in a way where they stayed faithful to the end. And Jesus tells them what's coming. He tells them. Verse 20. Now I think he looks at the people who are there. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter into Jerusalem, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, and you can imagine, he looks at the women here, for the women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captives among the nations. So Jesus looks up. Remember, he says, hey, this temple, it's going to come down. And he talks, and now he circles back to the temple. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Because Israel has rebelled against me. Remember, Jesus comes, two weeks ago, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He sees it and he weeps and he says, oh, Oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you, but you you have rejected me. And upon Jerusalem rejecting Jesus, here's what's going to happen. About 30 years, because they're not following Jesus, a group of these Jews are going to revolt. Revolt against Rome. And the result of this revolt is the Roman Empire saying, okay, enough of this Jewish problem. We're going to deal with this. And the Jewish emperor sends 60,000 troops in 70 AD, 60,000, and they march on the city of Jerusalem, and they surround the city of Jerusalem, and for five months, they besieged the city. If you've ever studied history and what it meant to, like in modern warfare, like, or not modern, but in, in ancient warfare, these cities were built up, in, built up on hills. And so they were they were defensive structures big walls big, and so if you were in a city and the army was approaching you had a huge advantage and so you don't if you have an army and you want to take the city on a hill you don't just like say all right let's go attack here's what you do you surround it and you just wait and you after weeks and weeks and weeks the people begin to run out of things like water and food and can you imagine sanitation And for five months, they surrounded this city of Jerusalem and sent little attacks, little attacks, and it went on and on and on. And eventually, they destroy it. And Jesus tells them, he says, you're going to see Jerusalem surrounded. And again, I think he's shepherding his believers. He says, hey, when Jerusalem is surrounded, what are you supposed to do? Get out. Get out of it. And there's an account, and again, history writes this, Where Rome surrounds the city, but for like a month or two, people are allowed to come and go. But then after a couple months, Rome builds a a wall around the city, completely like keeping everyone in. No one can now get out. And so Jesus telling his followers, when you see Rome surround, get out. And you can imagine some of Jesus' followers who are alive, they were little children these days. When they see Rome, like, oh my gosh, Jesus told us this. And there's accounts of several people, Christians, fleeing the city before Rome comes. But Rome surrounds it. Here's what Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, writes about the temple. The Temple Mount, which is the center of the temple, everywhere enveloped in flames, seemed to be boiling over from its base. Yet the blood seemed more abundant than the flames, and the numbers of the slain greater than those of the slayers. Remember how many soldiers they had, 60,000? The soldiers climbed over heaps of bodies as they chased the fugitives. It's estimated that hundreds of thousands, one report says almost a million people, Jews, died in this revolt that lasted a few years and then a few months around Jerusalem. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah and they sought power and money, rebelled against Rome, Rome crushed them. And Jesus tells him it's going to happen. And he says, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this is very interesting. Jesus tells them, your temple will be destroyed, and now Jerusalem will be owned, led by Gentiles, non-Jews, until the time the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, if you like world history, here's what happens after Jerusalem's destroyed Rome owns it for a while, eventually the Roman Empire is destroyed, the Byzantine Empire kind of conquers Jerusalem, owns that for a while, after a while the crusaders come in and they do some awful things in the name of Jesus, and they take over the city for a while, and after that the Ottomans or the Turkish Empire takes over the city, after World War I, Britain is in control of Jerusalem, and until 1967 is the first time that Israel became a state back in Jerusalem, very interesting. Jesus says, Gentiles will rule this city until the time the Gentiles will fulfilled." Just in our, some of your generation is the first time Jews are back in Jerusalem, owning the city. Very interesting. and makes you wonder, like, what's Jesus doing? What's up with our world? Now, I'm not going to give you some prophecy. All right, next week, we're not going there. But Jesus says it'll happen. Verse 25. Now he keeps going, and I think now he's going to kind of look at the big mountain in the background, the second coming, and there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is on the world, is what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things are take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So once again, Jesus kind of, I think, kind of goes to this bigger picture and says, things will get bad and, and the world will go on and there'll be chaos. But look what he says here. He says, when, you, when these things are happening and when you see the Son of Man coming, he says, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so when we look at things like this, uh, some of the movies that came out over the past like 10 or 15 years, they take this like, Jesus coming that back, back thing, and they make it a scary thing. Anyone feel that? Can we be honest, anyone? I remember as a teenager, like, this scared me to death. And I remember praying, like, Jesus, don't come back right now. This, is, I, this seems scary. But in Christian tradition, when people talk about the second coming, it's not, like, fear and damnation and, like, planes that are flying and all of a sudden someone's gone and they crash and, like... It's not that. You know what it is? Anticipation. Goodness. Look what Jesus says. Straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. It's like this picture of like people like, they're living their lives and all of a sudden like, oh, okay, something's happening. Like, what's, what's going on? Like, it's this good thing. It reminds me, I've been to many concerts here. One of my favorite things with concerts is you're here and you know, before everyone's talking, you got the, the music going light and then all of a sudden just like, boom, lights go out. And it's like, oh, and everyone kind of cheers. Us. Here's what Jesus said. As things happen, it's like a concert and the lights go out, like you know something's coming. It's anticipation. It's goodness. Verse, 20, uh, verse 21, or th- verse 34. Last one. But watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of the life. And on that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, what happens here in this passage? Jesus addresses power and money in Judaism, he points out a widow who's being exploited. People point out how beautiful this temple is. Jesus says, Yeah, that's going down. Then he goes on this discourse about the end of times. And then he comes back at the very end and says, So, to us, to people, watch yourselves. In light of what will happen, we don't know when, in light of what will happen, stay awake, stay sober minded. Don't be caught off by drunkenness and cares of the world. Dissipation. You know what dissipation is? I I had to Google it. Uh, It's wasting of resources. So he's teaching all these people, he's like, don't just live lives thinking, ah, this whole end of the time, that's just some fairy tale, and just get caught up on, like, the next sports event that's happening, the next concert, and then he says, stay awake, live differently in light of this. I don't think Jesus tells us this because he wants us to be afraid we're going to miss some rapture thing, right? That all of a sudden we're going to walk in to a room and there's going to be a bunch of people who used to be there, it's just their clothes lying, like, oh, we missed it, I don't I've always wanted to do a rapture joke on someone, by the way. You know what that is? You get a lot of Christians in a room, and one of them leaves, and then everyone else like, you, you leave, you probably have clothes underneath, but you leave your clothes there, and they come back in, and everyone's gone. Like, that'd be so much fun. So much fun, man. I just, can't do it to any of you now, because now you're like, ah, who's getting this? I don't think Jesus wants to live in this fear of like, what's going to happen? And every time there's a new war or trying to crack some code to figure out when Jesus comes, I don't think that's the point. The point is there's going to be crazy things in this world. The disciples are like, going to be killed. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be all these wars. There's going to be all these things happen. There's uncertainty. What can the disciples, what can these people control? Absolutely nothing but themselves. So he says, don't get caught off guard. Just eating, drinking, and being merry. Don't be caught off guard wasting resources. Don't be bothered by the cares of the world or the chief's going to make it this year. I think it's his invitation of Jesus to his followers, to believers, to use our lives, our money, our resources, our influence for good and to not get bogged down with the cares of this world that can quickly get us way off track. Way off track. Christians, let me talk to you for a minute. Bible says Jesus coming back. I have no idea what that looks like. There are just as many theories in Christianity on what will happen when Jesus comes back as there were of creation. Was the earth created in seven literal days? Or mil- I don't know. On the backside, what what will happen in the end times? There are people that I respect that have all kinds of different views. I have no idea what it's going to look like. But here's what I know. Everything Jesus said has happened. leading me to believe when he says he's coming back, it will happen. Will it be your lifetime? No idea. No idea. But does it matter? Because here we are. And it's this invitation, I believe, of Jesus to not get caught off caught up in the cares of the world that distract us. And don't be surprised at persecution. Guys, do you realize more Christians have been killed in the past 100 years than the 300 years of Rome combined? Like the things that happened to disciples aren't like ancient history, it's now. As as recent as like ISIS this past year or two, cutting off the heads of Christians on video for everyone to see. Christians are still being martyred. And Christianity is exploding in parts of the world where being a Christian can get you killed. China, Christianity is exploding there of people who outside of Jesus have no hope. And then if I'm gonna be honest, here we are in America and being a Christian is like, it's respectable, isn't it? Like in, in, in Springfield, most of you are, are kind of like, oh yeah, they've got nice church going folk. Like It's respectable. Many of you, your business thrives because you are a Christian. We're part of a culture that most of Springfield will think it's really cool a church is doing a for the city center. And so in a culture, and we don't really feel guilty about that. It's a great grace, grace of God, correct, that we live here in this country, freedom? It's great grace of God. But I think it's very easy also for us to get caught up in the cares of the world because of a life of comfort and ease. And so, throughout history, when Christians talk about the second coming, it's not fear. It's hope. It's hope. It's good news to those who live in a world of chaos that one day Jesus will come back, he will kick out evil forever, and he will restore Eden here. And if you're in Christ, you will join him here. It's the good news of the upside-down kingdom. Now, If you're an unbeliever here, I love you enough to tell you this. This is not my most fun part of the sermon. But I love you enough to tell you this. For believers, the end is like hope and anticipation because Jesus is coming, he's restoring all things. But when Jesus comes back, the Bible says he will get rid of, kill evil and sin for all time. And so he will restore his followers, believers of him, to eternal life, but those that rejected him on earth will be rejected for eternity. And so if you're an unbeliever here today, I don't do this to scare you, to get you to say some prayer, but I want you to see Jesus' promises will come back. He promises eternal life and goodness for those who trust in him, but for those that don't want him on this earth, he says, okay, you won't have me on this earth, but you're not going to have me in eternity. And You need to take that serious. You need to wrestle with your faith. Believers, this passage is not about fear. I think here's where we need to go with this. How do we live in light of his return? Jesus seemed less focused on what will happen in some code and when it will happen than teaching the people there how to live as they await those things. Christians, are you waiting well? Are are you waiting well? And I think all of us on one hand can say, yeah, on the other hand, No. Where do you get distracted? Where do I get distracted? With cares of the world. These little things in life that get all of my attention where I miss the kingdom of goodness. We live in a great country with all kinds of freedom and we don't deal with persecution, right? I mean, you may get made fun of one day, but we don't deal with this. And so there's a great temptation for us as Christian American believers that we can get caught up in our middle-class, pleasure, leisure-filled lives and be no danger to the kingdom of darkness. You are here to push back evil, to bring the kingdom of goodness, and love and light to this earth. And Jesus saying, don't get distracted. The chiefs will win or they won't, who cares? Stay focused. Keep your head up. Let your anticipation continue. The very end of your Bible, the very last words of your Bible, Revelation twenty, is John writing. He who testifies to these things, as Jesus says, "quote Surely I am coming soon." I want you to hear John's response, Amen, which means let it be. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus. Be with you all. Amen. That's how your Bible ends. Believers saying, please come. Because I don't want to hear another news report of another school shooting. Jesus, please come. When you're struggling with infer- infertility, Jesus, please come. When you hear another story of a woman being abused and exploited, Jesus, please come. When you lose your house to a tornado or a fire, Jesus, please come. When you're made fun of by your professor, your science professor, Jesus, please come. When you don't know how to parent well, last night, (laughs) Jesus, please come. When you're struggling, Men, to keep your eyes where they need to be as it relates to the opposite sex. Lord Jesus, please come. Women, when you feel that pull to measure your identity based on all the other women and what they have, Jesus, please like that's the heart that Jesus is inviting us to, this anticipation. Jesus, come and make all things new. Let's pray.